Guys, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Our core kids are dismissed to their classes, and their teachers are in the back there. They'll meet them and walk them there. Now, if you don't have an outline, just raise your hand, and the ushers will get you an outline, and that way you can follow along with me in the introduction of the sermon. And um, as you, if you have your hand up there, and the ushers are bringing you that, you can also turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Um, and for some of you, um, you have memorized the memory verse. We know that a couple of people did memorize the memory verse. Anybody memorize the memory verse? Raise your hand if you memorize the memory verse. Everybody's got their heads down because they're afraid I'm going to call them out and be like, come up here and say, I'm not going to do that to you. You know, you've been working hard on the memory verse. But what I did say was that I would have it memorized like a few weeks ago. Um, and so uh, Pastor Chad was the one that preached on that particular Sunday so I had to, you know, memorize it then, and I was, he, when he was saying it, I was trying to say it. And it's, it's, it's a little difficult to say it when other people are saying it, but I'm going to say the memory verse because I want to lead by example. So next week, somebody else can do it, right? So y'all can look down at your outline. Don't look at me because I get nervous when you're looking at me. I'm just kidding. Um, but you can look down at your outline just to make sure that I'm saying it right. And, so, and also so I can cheat. No, I'm just kidding. I, I'll stay away from there. But, but he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and all things consist in him. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may receive the preeminence or have the preeminence. Amen? Is that it? Did I do it right? All right. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's, all, say it. let's all say it together. I'm going to read it while we say it together, though, because y'all are throwing me off. All right? Here we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Amen. Y'all did a great job reading. Next week, come on, y'all got to memorize that by the end of this, right? You still got a few more weeks and you'll have it memorized. Let's all stand to our feet together as we read from the book of Colossians. And we're going to read from chapter 3. And we're reading verse 5 to 17. So we got a lot of ground to cover today. Um, I heard a couple of comments that I haven't been preaching the whole summer and um, I'm like, that's not true. But nonetheless, I'm going to make up for it today. we got a lot of verses to cover, so we'll do that. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 to 17, and it says this. It says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off the, all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, 
kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdoms, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so very much for your word. Thank you so very much for the privilege that it is to have your word, to be free to hear it to be free to preach it, to be free, Lord God, to live it. I thank you for each one in this place today. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church, that we would not just hear, but that we would do, that we would respond in faith to you. And I pray, Lord God, that we would be obedient as we hear your truth, Lord God, to address the areas of our lives, no matter what it costs us. May we care more about bringing you glory than we do living in our own comforts. We pray these things all in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so if I was to tell you right now that God wants you to be successful, I wonder what you would think. The title of the message today is Dressed for Success. And whenever I think about dressing for success, like if you're going to go on a job interview, there's a certain way you should dress, right? If you're going to um, go try to get a job, you should probably not go there looking all bummy, right, and looking, you know, ragged and all that kind of stuff. But you should probably go in there, you know, dress correctly. You should probably go in there having taken a shower, amen, Um, brushed your teeth. I'm just saying, right, like you're going to be communicating and um, you don't want that to be a hindrance to the job interview. And and so if I told you that, like some of you are like, yes, God wants to be successful. And then others of you, you're like thinking to yourself, wait a second, is this a prosperity message? Has Bishop not preached for so long that he forgot the truth of scripture? And here's what I want to say to you. I want you to know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. If you look at your outline, it's there for you. Contrary to the belief of some, God desires our success. I want to say that again. Contrary to the belief of some, God desires our success. And when I say the beliefs of some, I believe that there's some people that they would think like God doesn't really want you to succeed, like God doesn't care if you are successful. And I would contend that that's just not true. That is a lie, right? When I look at scripture, I mean, if you go back to like the book of Joshua chapter one, verse eight, I believe that's the first time that you see God communicating a desire for success of his people. And now somebody else that's really smart. You're going to be like, yeah, but Bishop, that's the Old Testament, right? Like that's in the Old Covenant. That's not in the New Covenant. Does God want us to be successful? And I would say yes, that God wants us to be successful. He wants us to be successful. But here is why, and this becomes so important. Our success is a reflection of his grace in our lives. Our success is a reflection of his grace in our lives. So let me qualify this when I say that. God wants you to be successful in your marriage. Are you here? God wants you to be successful in your parenting. Are you here? He wants you to be successful as an employee or as an employer. He wants you to be successful as a good neighbor. Why do I say this? Because he commanded all of these things. He gives us directives about all of these things. Therefore, that would mean to me that he desires me to be successful. But here is the big idea that I have for us this morning, and it is this. Our success as believers must be measured by biblical standards. 
You see, when we go off the deep end, then what we want is we want God to bless everything in our life the way that he wants us. Listen, I didn't say God wanted you to be rich. I said God wants you to be successful. Are you here? What I need you to realize is that you can be a person who is successful by biblical standards and not be rich. You can be a person who is successful the way that God wants you and not have every single thing on your wish list. You know, like we have, and you know, you, you know, you know some people, um, and maybe you do as well, some people have this thing called a bucket list, right? Like certain things you want to do before you die. Is there anything wrong with a bucket list? Just say no. No, there's nothing wrong with a bucket list. But here's the thing. You need to know that you may die without having checked off everything on the bucket list, and it's okay. That doesn't mean you weren't successful. It's important for us to grasp what God wants for us in, in the area of success. And so the first thing that I would ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, biblical success, success. Requires, death requires death to our old nature. And when you think about death and success, like those things don't necessarily go together, right? Like death and success. I'm telling you, God wants you to be successful, and then I'm going to tell you you need to die. Amen. If you and I want to be successful the way that God tells us he wants us to be successful, it is going to require that you die to yourself. It is not a name it, claim it success. It is that you listen and hear what God is saying he wants you to be successful in. And then here's the thing you got to realize. In order for me, I'll tell you like this, in order for me to be the husband that God wants me to be, which will make me successful, you know what that requires? It requires that I die to myself. For the ladies in the house, for you to be the wife that God wants you to be and be successful, you are going to have to die to yourself. For the children in the house that are living in homes, for you to be a child that is going to be successful, it is going to require that you die to yourself. In order for us to be good neighbors, in order for us to be good employees, good employers, in order for us to be people who contribute most to the culture, it is going to require that we do what? Die to ourselves. Success doesn't come just because you wish good things. Success doesn't come just because you think positively. Success doesn't come just because you have a certain way of thinking and you feel like your life should turn out a certain way. That's not success. Success in our lives as believers must be measured scripturally. We must measure scripturally. And so what does Paul tell us in verses 5 through 7? Let's look at it together again. We just read it, but let's just go over those three verses there. He says, therefore, and what is he saying therefore? Therefore is there for a reason. Hello. It's there for something. It's connecting two thoughts. And so if you go to verse 4, just look at it really quickly. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's beautiful. That's beautiful encouragement. When Christ, who is our life, you know the only people who don't get excited about stuff like this, it's when Christ is not your life. When Christ, who is our life, here's the question, is Christ your life? Or is someone else your life? Is something else your life? Is some other thing other than Jesus your life? Is there something else that gives you joy, that gives you happiness, that gives you that, that overwhelming sad? Is it a person? Is it a thing? Is it, if it's anything else, then you're not excited about the day that you appear with Christ about the future. And because we as believers, and if you're in here and you're a believer, then obviously this should be your heart. If you're in here and you're a non-believer, then this may not be your heart. You may not be so, so happy to hear about, well, you're surely not happy to hear that you got to die to yourself to be successful. Hello. 
Surely not looking forward to this glorious day, but for us that have been born again, for us that have experienced the the love of God and experienced the saving grace of Jesus, we look forward to that day when we appear with him in glory. He is our life. And so Paul says, therefore, put to death because of this, because of this, put to death your members which are on the earth. And then he goes on and he gives us this list of things. And see, when you look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, and verse three, and chapter 3, verse 3, those verses told us what? That we were dead. It was a reminder that I gave you when I was in chapter 2. And I reminded you, listen, when your old man tries to rise up, you need to remind your old man you are dead. When those old desires start to rise up, you need to remind them you are dead. Those things are dead. Those things have died. And so it sounds kind of contradictory, right? Because Paul is saying, you need to make dead what's already dead. Hello. When I read it, it's like, well, Paul, I thought I was already dead. But then he says, no, you need to put some things to death. So what is it? So I, I explain this to you. When we were born again, when we, when we came, like there's this thing, right? There's this mystical thing that happened, with the, you know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on that cross where we were connected with that. And the moment we put our faith in Christ, we were, we, we were considered dead in Christ, right? We died. We were buried in him. You know, next Sunday, we're going to celebrate baptism, which is this symbolism of what happened at the cross, the symbolism of what occurred when people put their faith in Christ. They are dead in him, and yet there's something that happens. You are born again. You are given new life. And when this new life comes, it doesn't mean that that all of a sudden you never have a temptation again. You see, because here's the thing you got to realize, and see, I've said this for a long time, and people get mad at me because they hate it. You know, some people, I would hope not you, but some people hate it when I say we're sinners. But why would Paul tell people who no longer struggled with sin not to to put sin to death? Remember who he's writing to, right? And as a matter of fact, when we fast forward in a moment and we get down there to like verses, you know, 12 and so on, and we start looking at the elect of God, that's who Paul was talking to. He's talking to the church. And he's telling church folk, you need to put some things to death. You have to put some things to death in your life. And so here's the thing. We have been given this new life. We have been born again. And nonetheless, we have this old nature that continues to try to rise up. And so what do we have to do with that old nature? We have to put it to death. What does that word death mean? It means to mortify. In one of your, in one of your translations, it says to mortify. And when you look up that word mortify, what does it actually mean? It means to deprive of power or to destroy the strength of. To deprive of power, to destroy the strength of. And for those of you that like application, let me give you the application to the text. The way that you deal with your flesh is you deprive it of power. You reduce its strength. And you know, there's only one way that I know to reduce something's strength, and it's called starving it. That is the only way you reduce something's strength. It is by starving it. It is by saying no to those things. You know what that means? And I hate to say this, but if you are going to put to death the members of your body, you are going to have to decide what you're going to feed. Truly, you're going to have to make that decision. You're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to feed my flesh? Am I going to feed my carnal desires? Am I going to feed that fornication is a word that he uses there, right? Which is any illicit sexual behavior, any sex that's outside of marriage. So that's any sex outside of marriage. And so obviously, whatever that, whatever that is that's outside of marriage, then that's something he's saying. You got to put that to death. He's saying you have to put those things to death. He's like those lustful desires. These are those sensual sins, those, those evil desires, those things that are inside you, that uncleanness that's within you. you 
you have to put those things to death. You got to decide, are you going to feed them or are you going to starve them? Because if you feed them, then guess what? They're going to continue to be strong. They're, going to, they're not going to die. They're never going to die, right? One of the, one of the cruel, and, and listen, it's, it's, it's a reality. One of the cruelest things to, to see is to see someone like drown, right? Like, I mean, that's like, I think that's the worst way. If you were going to kill somebody, like to drown somebody would be terrible, right? I mean, that's just, I don't know, that's, that's scary to me, like to think about drowning. But, but let me tell you another really cruel way to kill somebody is to, is to make them starve to death. To lock them up somewhere and to never let them eat again. And you know what I'm telling you? That's what you have to do to your carnal desires. You and I have to make a decision that we are going to reduce the strength of our carnal desires. What about that covetousness that he said there? He said you got to put that to death, that greed. Remember, I talked about that bucket list. Some of those things are there. You've got to put that stuff to death. You can't feed that because what? It is idolatry. Why is it that we need to put these things to death? It is because of what? We are children of God. Again, if you're a child of God, this is what God calls you to do. If you and I put our faith in Jesus, we want biblical success in our lives. I mean, I don't know about you, but I want biblical success in my life. And so what that means, I have to make some decisions here. Why? Because it offends God. Number one, the reason why we have to put these things to death is because they offend God. The second thing, and I'm going to repeat this a couple times in this message, the second thing is because it tarnishes our testimony. It offends God and it hinders, it tarnishes our testimony. And then another thing that it does is it furthers the moral decay of our culture. Are you here? You see, when you are living in fornication, when you are living in uncleanness, when you are living with lustful desires, when you are living according to a covetous heart, when you are living in idolatry, what you are doing is you, listen to me now, you are offending God. You are tarnishing your testimony and you are adding to the moral decay and decline in our culture. And so we as children of God, we have to make a decision. Am I going to honor God? Am I going to give a good testimony? Am I going to be one that is going to add and going to be part of the, res the restoration and the healing in our culture? Or am I going to do things my way? See, here's what I want you to understand. The evidence of a new life is not perfection, it's progress. It is not perfection. Paul tells us, he goes on, and as he continues, he says, because of these things, why, again, do we have to be, we have to be repentant of these things? He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And he says this, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. And so, again, I want this to be crystal clear. Paul is calling on people who have put their faith in Jesus to put to death these things. He's not talking to the non-believers, he is clearly saying who he's talking to. And I, and, and I think that it's so important for us to recognize this because a lot of times we think like in the church, we don't need to hear about sin. We don't need to hear about our sinful nature. We don't need to hear about repenting of sin. That we don't need to, we just need to be told how good we are. That's a lie from the very pit of hell where people just believe they're so great and everything is so wonderful. Listen, we have to be called to repentance of sin because of what? Because sin still dwells inside of our being. Because we still struggle with this. And so here's the deal that I want you to, and you can write this verse down. You do not, not have to turn there. But Romans chapter 8, verse 13, it gives us such a crystal clear formula on how we deal with our flesh. He says what? That by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. I want you to know something. What I'm asking you to do right now, what Paul is exhorting us to do right now, we will never do it in our own ability. 
We can never do it in our own strength. And so listen, don't walk out of here thinking you're going to be morally better on your own strength and ability. You should be morally better, but it's not because of your will, but it's because of the power of God working in you. You see, the, the, the thing about believers is that we don't trust in our flesh. We don't trust in our ability. We trust in the finished work of Jesus. We trust in the ongoing work of the Spirit of God, and we trust in that, and that is how you and I gain the victory over our flesh. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, playing dress up, playing dress up. will not bring us biblical success. Playing dress-up will not bring us biblical success. See, here's the thing that, I, that, that we have to realize is that the invitation to come as you are has been sorely misapplied. I, I want you to get this. When, when, and you, you can write this one down as well because I, as I was thinking through this, Matthew chapter 22 is a parable. And in this parable, it is a parable of a king. And this king had an invitation to a dinner that he invited people to of the marriage of his, of, of his son and his bride. And when he invited all of these people, when they went out to get the invitations, you know, met and told people, hey, the party's happening. People were like, oh, I'm doing this. You know, I got this, you know, this land. I have all these other things to do. They mistreated the servants. And then the king was upset. And the scripture says some stuff. And I mean, when I read that, I was like, man, this is pretty intense because this king went ahead and he didn't just say, all right, y'all don't want to come to the party. It's all good. No, he went ahead and sent out his army, destroyed all of those people who didn't want to come to the party. So, hey, when Jesus invites, come. Hello. Right? I'm just saying, right? Like there's wrath coming. And I hate to say this, but it's a picture, right? All of those who reject Jesus are under the wrath of God. Everybody who rejects the invitation of Christ to come to salvation, they are under the wrath of God. And so if you are in here and you have not put your faith in Jesus, you are under the wrath of God. And listen, I don't know when your last moment's going to be, but what I do know is this, is that God makes this invitation. And in that parable, he makes the invitation. These people get Get, um, get killed because they rejected the invitation and mistreated the servants. And then what happens is what? He invites all of these people from the highways and byways. The scripture actually says he invited the good and the bad. So again, invitation, come as you are. But then it says something. It says when the party happens, the king comes in and when he's looking around, he notices someone who's dressed incorrectly. Are you with me? And he walks over there and he's like, why are you not, why, why aren't you dressed the right way? And because the guy was dressed the wrong way, you know what happened to him? He got kicked out. He got thrown out and into a place where the Bible says that, to this suffering. And this is what happens. And it's so, wait a second. I thought it's come as you are. I thought that's what we've been told, come as you are. And here's what I want to do to help you to understand this, is that Jesus didn't die so you could come as you are. Jesus died because we cannot come as we are. Are you getting this? He died because you and I cannot stay the same. We have to put our faith in Christ. What do we say all the time in, our, in, in, in the gospel presentation? We're born into sin, right? God is good. God is holy. We are born into sin. Nothing that we do can ever equal up in righteousness according to our sinful behavior. Y'all get that, right? I say that weekly, right? We communicate that because we want to remind you of this. This is what the gospel is. We're all separated from God. No matter how many good works we try to do, no matter how much stuff we try to 
act right or whatever the case is. We can never fix ourselves. We can never make ourselves righteous. So what do we have to do? We come to Jesus so that we can be clothed in his righteousness. And so we come to him as we are. And then he does what? He clothes us. But you know what he says? He says, I'm not clothing you just so that way you keep coming into my presence and keep acting a fool. I'm clothing you so you can be back in a relationship with your heavenly father and he can transform you and make you more like me. You see, that is what we understand. And, and what happens is we have this misapplication. And the thing is this, is that too many of us want to look good. We want to smell good. We want to seem good. But we don't want to address the sin in our lives that is hindering our progress. You know, it's kind of like, you know, as, 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 a, as a young man growing up, um, you know, sometimes, and not, not every guy is like this, but, you know, when my, my daughter, she was, in the, um, she was in, the, in, the, in the photography team that was doing the yearbook, and one time she had to go into the, to the young men's locker room, and it was after they left, praise the Lord, um, but when they left, they left a stench behind them. Hello, somebody. But it was a funny stench because you could smell the funk, but then you could also smell like the cologne, right? And, and, and you weren't sure if they actually took a shower or if they came out of physical education and just sprayed on some cologne so they could smell good. Hello, somebody. You know, and sometimes that's how, that's how, that's how some young men act. You know, they're just like, I'm just going to spray this on. It's going to cover everything. That's not true. That is a lie. You got to strip. You got to strip. You got to bathe, right? And then you go ahead and you put on some, and you have to deal. And, and it's the same thing spiritually. It is the same exact thing on a spiritual level. And so here's the thing. Paul goes on as, he, as, as he's, we look at verses 8 through 11, and he says this. He says, but now you yourselves are to put off. And when that word put off, it means to strip away. You are to put off these things, right? So he, so he tells them that they need to put off these things. So they need to put off anger. They need to put off wrath. They need to put off malice. And so these are sins of attitude, right? And so when you look at anger, what is he talking about anger? And some of you, you need to hear these because you need to strip these things away because you are walking around angry. You are walking around. You have anger in your heart. And you know what, the, and, and you know what's what one, one writer said? He said, these are the sins that are, that are okay. They are, they're socially acceptable sins. They're because, you know what, nobody really sees your little anger. Now, if you go ahead and you tell someone, oh, you know, they're fornicating, man. They're in sin, man. You see somebody in a homosexual relation, oh, they're, they're in sin. You see somebody who is doing things like that, oh, they're in sin. But you have somebody walking around with anger in their heart, and it's like, oh, well, no big deal. They're just angry. Hold on a second. Time out. God says you need to put this off. Not just anger, but he goes on and he says rage or wrath. And so what is wrath? Those are those outbursts of anger. Like all of a sudden, like, you know, you know those people, I'm like this, and I have to repent. I'm just confessing to you right now. I'm like this. Like, like, so, like, like I'll be like all normal, and then all of a sudden, boom, something happens, and I just like blow up. That's not okay. That's not all right. That is not cool with Jesus, and it is a terrible testimony. It is sinful for us to walk around like that. And then this malice, right? It is ill will towards others. You know how you, know you have a, mal a malicious heart towards others? It's when you have this mindset, right? You have this, like you can't rejoice when something good happens for them, but when something bad happens to them, you're happy. That's called malice, right? You don't rejoice over the fall of your enemies. You try to help them up. You pray for them. You pray for God's mercy in their lives. But you know what? We have these malicious hearts. He goes on. So those are sins of attitude. But then he goes on and he talks about blasphemy, filthy language, and lying. Those are the next ones. So blasphemy, what is that? That's slander. That's injurious speech. When you're talking bad about people, you know what? It's called gossip. Hello, somebody. 
And so again, we have some issues. What about this filthy language? See, this one is amazing because I am amazed, right? Like, let, 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 let me give you the definition of filthy language. It means foul speech. It means coarse humor. It means obscene language. Let me read that again because I know some of you didn't get that. It means foul speech. It means coarse humor. It means obscene language. Foul speech, right? Coarse humor, right? It's, it's this, I mean, it's, it's this understanding that there's certain things. You know, and let, let me help you understand, understand what, I, what I believe to be something that I would categorize as this foul language. If you wouldn't say it in a court in front of a judge, you shouldn't be saying it. How about that? Because I would say you shouldn't say it in the presence of God. But you know what? Some people, they're just not. There, there's a Christian worship song where the guy drops an F-bomb in the middle of the song. Like it's all good. Really? Really, it's cool to be in God's presence and just drop the F-bomb, right? And look, you know what I did just to clarify, because I went ahead, I looked up the word, like, you know, the F-bomb. I didn't, it's not F-bomb, you know what it is. But I looked up the word just to see if there was any context in which it was an okay word. It's never an okay word. It's always been an unprintable word. It's been a taboo word. So why would that be okay to say that in God's presence? Nevertheless, in the midst of worship. Oh, we got to keep it real with God. I, I agree we got to keep it real with God. Can we read the Psalms? Let's see how real David was. Let's look there and let's see how real. Because I think the scriptures are pretty real. I mean, you know, it talks about everything under the sun. And I don't see anybody in the presence of, see, it makes me question, are they really in the presence of God? See, but here's the thing for us in our day. For some reason, some Christians think it is manly or, or contemporary to use this kind of speech I think it's okay to just walk around and just call people whatever and use any kind of foul language. Listen again, it is something that we have to get out of our mouths and not like speaking it, but we need to remove it from our speech. Why? Because our speech is, to, is supposed to be seasoned with salt. Are you here? Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Lying, how about that? How about that? Lying. Like, lying is not okay in any way, shape, or form. Lying. Just, just being dishonest. But, but when I look at lying, I mean, what does this mean, right? It means not telling the truth, obviously. Not being transparent. How about that? Acting like acting, like hypocritical living, faking holiness, like those things are lies. And again, these sins all, they hinder what? They hinder our relationship with one another. See, if you're a person who's a blasphemer, a gossip, guess what? That hinders your relationship with one another. If you're a person that's got a foul mouth, it hinders your relationship with others. If you're a person that is a liar, it hinders your relationship with others. And so what we see here is that we have an issue. It hinders our relationship with others, but it also hinders what? It hinders our witness to the world, and most importantly, it hinders our growth in Christ. So again, we have to strip these things away. The third thing I'll ask you to say is this. Say the dress code for biblical success is Christ-likeness. The dress code for biblical success is Christ-likeness. And so what is our goal as believers? Our goal as believers is to know the one who saved us, to know the one who has delivered us, to know the one who has set us free, to know him, right, to know the truth about God. And I want you to see what the text tells us here. And we're going to read these, the, um, these verses, these five verses together. And 
We're going to see what it says. It says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. So what does he say? So here's what I want you to understand. In general, the way you dress is not a reflection of your heart. For some people, the way they dress, it is a reflection of their heart because it just shows like, you know what, this is how they are. But for me, right, I was, I was raised in a certain era, and, and, and I didn't think dressing, you know, down like hip-hop, like that, like that was just normal. I wasn't dis- disrespectful. I've never, even when I was not a Christian, I was never that dude with my pants hanging off of my butt. I don't even know what that is. But anyway, um, all that said, I was just never that guy. Like there was a certain level of respect, right? But none, nonetheless, I've never been a guy that liked, like now I do, you know, sometimes, but I was never a guy that was like, hey, I need to wear a suit every Sunday. Like I was like, nah, man. And much less when I was preaching, I'm like, nah, you know, so anyway, hence the reason why during the summertime we have casual summers. But you know, all that said, the, the, the reality is like, it's not always a reflection of someone's heart, right? It's not always a reflection. It can be, but on a spiritual level, it is always a reflection of your character. On a spiritual level, I'm not talking about the way you dress physically, the way you dress on a spiritual level, the things, what did he do? He told you a couple of things. He said, you need to put some stuff to death, and then he said, you need to take some stuff off, and then he said, what? We're supposed to put on some things, So we put things to death, we take stuff off, and then we put stuff on. He tells us what it is we're supposed to, where we are supposed to put on here. So we're supposed to put on what? Tender mercies. We're supposed to put on kindness. We're supposed to put on humility. And listen, I'm not going to break down all of these words. We are supposed to be merciful. Are you merciful? We're supposed to be kind. Are you kind? The way you deal with people, the way you communicate with people. We are supposed to walk in humility. Are you humble? Are you meek in the way that you think about yourself? Are you always, you know, exerting your strength or do you sometimes just sit back? You know what? I don't need to do all that. I don't need to prove my manhood. I don't need to show that. I don't need to, I don't need to be this loud whatever. I don't need to do all that. That's, that's a person that knows how to walk in meekness. What about long suffering, right? Are you patient with people? Hello, somebody. Right? Let me help you to, to, to flesh that out. Not just that he goes on long suffering. And he says, bearing with one another, right? Like, are you bearing with people? Like, some people need to be bared with. Hello. Right? Like, some people are just truly difficult. And it's like, are you bearing with them? And look at this. And forgiving one another. Hallelujah. Are you forgiving? If anyone, now listen to this, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Let me ask you a question for those of you that are believers in the room. How many of you know how Jesus forgave you? Come on, show your hands. You know how Jesus forgave you, right? You, you, you recognize, man, he forgave me and continues. Hello. It wasn't like one and done. It's like every day. Right? And some days worse than others, right? The way that he forgave me is the way that I offer forgiveness to others. He's not keeping an account. I offer that forgiveness because he did it for me. But above all, he says what? Put on love, which is the bond of perfection, right? Love is what glues us all together. Love is what, glue, love is what keeps everything. It's what keeps mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. It's what keeps It's love that does all of this. And then verse 15, he says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Look what he says. He says this. He says, listen. Let God's peace reign inside of you, but also let God's peace unify you. 
Let God's peace keep you together, right? And if you just look up, I mean, when you look at verse um, 11, just look at verse 11 real quick. It says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. He's talking about that. He's saying, look, there's no Greek that you're some philosophy amazing and Jews who think you're awesome because you're so religious or Scythians and, and, and barbarians and, you know, all of these different culture classes, slave or free. He's saying, look, all of that stuff is equal. All men are equal before God. Every, No matter your race, your nationality, your education, your social status, all of that doesn't matter. The cross addressed that. We all need Christ and his peace must dwell in us and the peace we have should be extended unto others. That's what should be happening here. And so Paul tells us that we're supposed to walk in, walk in this peace with one another. And then he says this in verse 16 and 17, and we're going to wrap up here. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And so listen, you want to be able to put things to death in your life? You want to be able to put things off, strip them away from you? This is the key right here. These verses right here are the key because what does he say? He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now look what he goes on to say, and I want you to recognize who he is talking to. He is talking to believers. He's not talking to leaders. He's talking to believers, not leaders. And I'm not saying he's not speaking to leaders. What I want to say is he is not talking to leaders. He's not isolating them in this admonition that he's going to give right now. He says this, teaching and admonishing one another. And so you know what that means? That means that you and I are supposed to be teaching each other. You and I are supposed to be educating one another. You and I are supposed to be influencing each other's lives, not just from the pulpit, but sitting next to each other in circles, in connect, in relationship, encouraging one. That is what is supposed to be happening. But then he goes on to say how we're supposed to do this. He says, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now look at that. How is it that we encourage one another? Listen, I want you to, I want you to grasp this. When we sing, and, and, I want, and, and I want to be real specific on worship because worship is a broad word, right? Worship is a way of living. But worship is something also that we do in song. And from a biblical standpoint, Old Testament to New Testament, singing is imperative for what? For the teaching and the admonition of believers. It is so, so important for us that we think about the music we listen to, and even more so, the music that we use to sing songs from here in our churches, right? And, and, and so because what? Because our worship is supposed to do what? It is supposed to continue to teach. It's supposed to continue to admonish. It's supposed to continue to educate us about who God is. And when we sing songs that are doctrinally weak or doctrinally inept, you know what we do? We teach people the wrong things about God. It's funny because we had this conversation on our way, on our way in, in Texas, actually, and we were in a church and they sang a song that is super popular. Um, and some, some of us, I mean, we love this song. I mean, I know I love the song and I just have to change one word in the song, right? But it's this song, Reckless Love. And my, 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 my wife's aunt, she said, I hate when they sing that song. And, you know, me being the musician, right, and the, and, the, and the spiritual leader in the car, I was like, well, you know, I understand what, they, what, what, the, what the writer's trying to say. You know, and the definition of that word, and then, you know, as the woman of God that she was that had access to a dictionary, 82 years old, on her smartphone, <laughs> she starts reading the definition of the word reckless to me. And I was like, wow, 
People go to jail for reckless endangerment. And we're singing to God, your love is reckless. And so, to be fair, I think every other word in the song is beautiful. So we just need to turn that song from reckless to selfless. Because that's really what the writer was trying to say, I think. But I can't even say that because then I listen to the guy that's actually coming to speak. And you can look it up for yourself that he's going to be here next weekend. And he actually went, he did the research because someone asked him about the song. But he actually went, he looked up the writer's actual intention of the song. And he's like, you know, when I was going through the song, I was like going to give it a pass. Like, okay, he just messed up, lyrical license, whatever. And he said, but the guy's explanation of why he used that word was so terrible, it scared him even more. Because his intention behind it was wrong. You can't just hijack a word and try to make it mean something it doesn't mean. Especially when we're talking about the God we love. And so listen, let me qualify it again. I love the song, absolutely. But I just think we should, when we sing it, we're just going to have to sing selfless instead of reckless. And we'll be good to go. And it's going to be hard because you're going to be like, selfless, right? But why is that important? That's important because you need to know God is thought, he, he's, he's very deliberate in everything he does, not reckless, right? Everything that we sing about God has to be right or else we teach people the wrong thing. Like it's okay to be reckless. It's never okay to be reckless. It's okay to be selfless. We live from the place of worship. And so as we wrap up our time together, here is the closing question. Or I, I just I want to close with this before actually I give you this closing question. When when it talks, when, when you look at the word to put on, this is what it means. And our singing has to be that. It has to be something that we're putting on ourselves, that we're coming to understand truth. We're coming to understand who God is. But th these things is what has to happen when Paul is saying to put it on. It means to become so possessed of mind, of the mind of Christ, as in thought, feeling, and action, to resemble him, and as it were, reproduce the life he lived. I'm going to read that again. When the Bible says to put on, it's the word. It means to envelope or to clothe with, and, 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 and that's the reason why I'm talking about being dressed for success, to become so possessed of the mind of Christ as in thought, feeling, and action to resemble him, and as it were, reproduce the life he lived. That's how you and I are supposed to do that. And you know how that happens? When we are living for his glory. And so my closing question is this, are you dressed for success in character? Are you dressed for success in conduct? And are you dressed for success in your devotion to knowing Jesus? Not what you want to know about Jesus, but knowing him. Because when you know him, your conduct will change. When you know him, your character will change. I don't want you to go the other way around. I don't want you to try to change your character. I don't want you to try to change your conduct. I want you to know Jesus because here's what I do know. He says to you for sure to come as you are so he can make you into what he wants you to be. Amen. So I stand on our feet and let's pray together. Father, today we come, we humble our hearts before you, and we ask you, Spirit of the living God, fill us with grace, fill us with power, help us to serve you, help us to honor you, help us to obey you. In all things, God, help us to give you the glory, the honor that you're worthy of in our lives. Let us not continue, Lord God, to not address the issues that need to be addressed, but let us address them in faith, allowing you to change our hearts that we can give you the glory and the honor that you're worthy of. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. come on, give the Lord a hand of praise.